0: Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, that was kind of a Presbyterian good morning. <laughs> good morning. Good morning. Is it not exciting to be with the people of God this morning? How exciting to now be official? Yes. That makes everything I say completely different. I invite you to turn with me in your copies of God's holy and inspired word this morning to John chapter 17. We are going to be looking at verses 20 through 26. John 17, verses 20 through 26. I preached this sermon, well, a version of this sermon, because it was for a different church, last week as my last words to the church that I have just left. And I chose this because these are some of the last words that we have of Jesus Christ that he is praying to his Father for his people. And I thought, well, that's a good way to go out. Let's go out by looking at this prayer of Christ for his people as Jesus is about to leave. What is his... What does he pray for his people? And then I thought, well, these aren't just good words for a departure. These are, a great, these are great words for an arrival. And so we're going to look at these words today, and we're going to look at this prayer. And if you note from verse 24, where Jesus says, Father, I desire... Make no mistake, what we are looking at here is the heart of Christ. So let's read together this morning. We're just going to read from 20 through 26. Let's give our attention to God's holy word this morning. Father, I do not ask for these only, but also for all those Let's pray. O oh, Heavenly Father, we do pray to you this day, for you are indeed more than enough. You are higher than our loftiest thoughts. You are deeper than our innermost desires. This is who you are, and this is what you have made known to us, and this is what you have shared with us by calling us out of darkness and into life through your Son, Jesus Christ. And so help us to hear the prayer of Jesus Christ, not only as he prayed it that night before he would go to the cross for us, but even as he prays it in his intercessory ministry ongoing in the heavenly places. Lord, speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Through the history of the church, this chapter, John chapter 17, has often been referred to as the high priestly prayer. In fact, I believe if you look in your copies of scripture, you probably have a heading there at the beginning of John 17 that says that. Something to the effect of the high priestly prayer or Jesus' high priestly prayer, or the high priestly prayer of Christ, or something to that effect. The reason for this is not simply because Jesus is praying for his church. If we would have had time, I would have set you up for this passage by reading from Leviticus 16. You might want to read that later this afternoon. In Leviticus 16, what we see is the unfolding of what was the great day of atonement, this annual day in the life of Israel. It was the one day of the year that the high priest would put on all the high priestly garb and gear. If you want to know more about that, speak with Jeff as he led a Bible study this past Friday morning, very early in the morning. Um, about this from Exodus it was good it was a good focus on the the special clothes that the high priest would wear but he would put these on only one day of year uh, out of the year and it was the day that there would be this great sacrifice of atonement for all of God's people as a corporate body but what Aaron had to do And what every high priest had to do after him who was in the lineage of Aaron, every Aaronic high priest, what he had to do was he first had to pray for himself and then make sacrifice for himself. And he had to do this because he was a sinner. And so the atonement that was needed, the atonement that he had this incredible privilege of officiating, he needed it himself. So he would pray for himself, and then he would sacrifice for himself. Well, then it says that he would pray for and make sacrifice for his immediate family. Those who were most closely connected to him. He would pray for them, and he would make the sacrifice for them. And then after that, he would pray for and make sacrifice for the entire nation of Israel. Now, when you look here at John chapter 17, you see this same threefold division taking place in the prayer ministry of Jesus Christ. Now, obviously... Jesus doesn't have to pray for himself and, ask, and, and offer sacrifice for himself because he wasn't a sinner. And he wasn't of the ironic priesthood. And that's a good thing, the writer of Hebrews tells us. He was the priest, the, he was the high priest that the ironic high priest was always pointing towards he was always serving as this type of this shadow of this great high priest who would one day come and in his ministry he would offer the ultimate final once for all sacrifice for God's people and he would have a ministry of intercessory prayer and here Jesus Christ The night before he brings that ultimate sacrifice, long awaited since Genesis chapter 3, as he comes to finally bring this into reality, before he makes that ultimate sacrifice, he engages in a high priestly intercessory prayer that models the high priestly prayer of the day of atonement. He prays for himself. Then he prays for his disciples. He prays for those who have been with him, those who have been learning directly from them, those who are going to take his ministry and continue to take it throughout the world. And then he comes to verses 20 through 26. And he now prays for those who would come to know Jesus Christ because of the succeeding generational ministry that would come from these first disciples. Let me put it to you a different way. Beloved, this is a specific prayer of Jesus Christ for you. You have come to know Jesus Christ Because of a succession of faithful generation after generation after generation of people who have taken the apostolic truth that it came directly from Jesus Christ was received by them that they took and spread throughout the world. And that is why you and I know Jesus Christ. And so as he says here that he's praying for those who will come to know him because of the ongoing ministry of his immediate disciples, this is Jesus' prayer for you. This is Jesus allowing you to hear his heart's desire for you. So let's dig in. Jesus prays for three things here. Now, I no- normally don't do it this way, but I'm going to give you everything right up front. I don't like to do that. I like to leave you hanging a little bit so that we, you, know, you actually stay with me through the whole summer. If you give everything up front, the people are like, yeah, I got it. Okay, thanks. He prays three things here. He prays that you, not just some Christians, not some generic sense of disciples somewhere, he prays for you specifically for Grace Covenant Church that you will be one in God's life, in God's love, and in God's mission now on the one hand, this is pretty straightforward on the other hand, whew. I really don't know what a lot of this means. What does it mean for us to be one in God's life in a way that is consistent with what Jesus says about the Father's life in him and his life in the Father? Because that's what's said here. You're in me. I am you. I'm in you. They're in us. What we do know here is that the our God is a triune God, He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are one God in three persons and they have always existed in this unity of the Godhead when Jesus took on flesh and came here to earth to Begin to fulfill this eternal mission that the Father had in drawing you to himself? When he did this, he didn't come by himself. It wasn't like when he decided to give up the glory that he was due as God to come in the humility of a servant. It's not like the Father was like, okay, I hope things go well father was with the son and even though the son had come here to earth the son was still in the father and the spirit was in the son and the spirit was in the father the father was in the spirit and the son was in the spirit all three have always been in one another and this is the existence that you and i have been drawn into by nature of our union in Jesus Christ. When Jesus takes you as a sinner, born in sin, born as one who belongs to the kingdom of darkness, and when, when he takes you out of that by breathing life into you, and you are no longer dead, but you are now alive, the life that you you have been given by Jesus Christ is not some better life that you now get to have better than what you had. What you are getting is the life of God in Jesus Christ through the Spirit making you alive. The life of the Father and the Son and the life of the Son and the Father is now the life that is in Grace Covenant Church. This is what it means for us to be united to Jesus Christ. Now, this is very difficult. This is mysterious. Sometimes, Reformed Christians, we have a hard time with mystery because we like to have lots of answers. And having lots of answers is very good. But sometimes we have to also embrace that there are things that are beyond our human understanding that we are simply to embrace by faith and allow that to shape how we understand ourselves. Now, here's what we know it doesn't mean. This does not mean that when God calls you out of darkness and, and he gives you new life in Jesus Christ, this does not mean that you are now in the beginning process of becoming deified. It doesn't mean that you are in the process of becoming little gods. When we've been there, right, for 10,000 years, bright shining in the sun, as the sun, we will be there as creatures. We will not be there as little gods. We will be there as creatures, but we will be there as creatures who have the fullness of the life of the triune God animating us as his people. Now, this is also the same for love, and it's also the same for mission, but before we get there, I want to point out two very vital, important things here about what it means for us to be one in God's life, love, and mission, and that is two things. One first... For us to be one in God's life here, notice that this oneness, this unity, is not something that we manufacture. It's not something that we create. Jesus is not saying here, hey, I'm bringing you to life, and so now show your gratitude by creating some unity. No. The life that Jesus gives to us as his people draws us into the already existing unity between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so the first thing that we have to realize is that when we are one in God's life, we that life we that, that oneness it is derivative. It's something that we are brought into that already exists. It's not up to us to create. We are drawn into something that already exists. And so what this means is that when we are made one in God's life, this is a grace. It is a gift. So first, by being one in God's life, love, and mission... This oneness is derivative. We don't create it. It's something that we're given. It's something we possess. And not because we earn it, and not because we get to a certain point. It is something we possess because it is something, secondly, that we are participating in. It is a reality that already exists within the unity of the Godhead. And so when Jesus makes us alive through the Spirit, we are being swept up into the life, love, and mission of the unified God. We are being drawn into this thing that already exists. And as we are drawn up into it, what we are now said is, to be doing is participating in this reality that has always existed. We don't just receive it as a gift and say, Thanks, God, I can't wait till I get to heaven. It is a life, it is a love, it is a mission that God is actively engaged in, that He draws us to share in participating in the engagement of life, love, and mission. Now let that sit on you for a second. We don't create it. We receive it. And because it is given to us, it is something in which we participate. What does that mean? It means everything that you are doing now as one united to Jesus Christ. Is an embodiment and an expression of the life, love, and mission of the triune God. Everything. This is what defines us as a church. It's what defines us as those who have been made alive in Jesus Christ. It's what defines us as those who have been swept up into the purposes of the eternal God. So when we talk about this life, when we talk about this love, when we talk about this mission, it is something that we receive as a gift and it's something that we participate in that started in eternity and will go into all eternity. With regards to love, Jesus says that you have loved me, uh, your love is in me, and that love is in them. And what kind of love does the Father have for the Son? Jesus tells us it's a love that began before the foundations of the world. This love into which we are drawn, this love in which we are participating is an eternal love. The mission that we've been drawn into, the mission in which we are participating is a mission that began in eternity past as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who did not need us, made the decision to create us so that we might have a share in their glory. Man sinned. And God didn't give up on his eternal purposes. And he made a promise. I will send you one who will reconcile and restore. And my original eternal purposes will come to pass. Regardless of the response of the people. And so God has been overwhelming us with his purposes, with his covenant, with his love, from the very beginning. We are swept up into this thing. And just as Jesus Christ says here that you sent me, And because of that, I have manifest your name. I have made you known. When people saw me, they saw you, Father. When the people heard me, they heard you, Father. What Jesus says is this mission of God that he was participating in is a mission that you and I are participating in And in remarkable fashion, Jesus tells us it's a mission that he is still participating in. Notice the last verse here. I made known to them your name. I will continue to make it known. The ministry that Jesus began on earth, beloved, has not ended because Jesus is in the heavenlies. It did not end. It did not stop. Jesus is continuing to make the Father known. How? Because the love with which you love them uh, that you love me is a love that is in them because I am, and am in them. We have been given this life, love, and mission of God to be participants in this life, love, and mission of God because Jesus Christ is continuing this life, love, and mission of God in this world through you. Just as Jesus was the embodiment of the life and love and mission of his Father, beloved, we are the embodiment of the life, love, and mission of the triune God as Christ through his spirit indwells us and continues to minister to this world through us. Is that how you understand yourselves? Is this the first thought that comes into your head in the morning when when you wake up? It's not for me, I will be honest. So this this is one of those, I get to do this thing. Of course, you know what happens when you do this. You got, you got three more pointing back at yourself. So, this is, this is a defining reality. This is not something for us to try to grow into. This is something you already have. This is something you already are. This is something you are already on. But we have to define ourselves this way. But this raises another question. If we are the embodiment of the life, love, and mission of the triune God to this watching world, how can we do that if we don't start at home? if we're going to be the embodiment and the ongoing expression of the life, love, and mission of God out to our neighbors, beloved, it has to start in our homes in the way that husband and wife look at one another and interact with one another. And it has to begin at home in the way that parents look and interact with their children and the way children look at and interact with their parents and it has to be the reality that defines the way that we look at one another when we are here at church and the way that we seek to to embrace one another and to love one another. It has to begin right here with us because if we cannot embody these realities to those with whom we already share these realities, how are we going to do this well in doing this to the people that hate our Savior? The world loves religion. What they hate is our Savior, Jesus Christ. What they love is people who will be spiritual. What they hate is people who will, as Daniel talked about in Sunday school, take up the cross to follow Jesus Christ. And make no mistake, the culture in which we live, even here in Dallas, Georgia, is changing. It is shifting. It is becoming more and more intentionally post-Christian. Now, the world has always been against God since the fall, right? But there have been cultures that have been able at different times and in different ways to give more recognition to God and, and maybe live according to some type of deistic understanding that there is some god that kind of created things and put things in motion and so we'll kind of you know go along with certain aspects of the morality that he has communicated but we're not going to get radical and really give up ourselves to him we'll embrace some of the things that we think are helpful and beneficial for making a nice comfortable community but we're not going to get too radical where it requires me to actually get on a cross But the reality is this life, love, and mission that we have been given, in which we are participating, has only been accomplished through a cross. Jesus is praying this the night before he willingly gets on the cross. And beloved, taking up that cross begins in the way that we interact with, with ourselves, the way we interact with one another in the church, and then the way we interact with those outside of these walls. The great Georgia, Georgian author, Flannery O'Connor once said, Every, something to the effect, everyone wants the Christian faith to be a nice warm blanket when in reality it's a cross and so my encouragement to us as we ponder these things is not just to take a look at the cross and say all right everyone jump on that cross willingly and therefore there'll be no more problems because the reality is we struggle to get on that cross and we look for every reason to get off every opportunity that we get. And so maybe there is something that can help get us there. Something that we can do in the meantime that instead of going trying to go zero to 100, maybe there's something more, not, not as radical maybe. This prayer that we're allowed to listen in here uh, on the, at the end of John 17 is part of an evening that actually began back in John 13. The evening, the occasion in which this prayer is being prayed, is the same evening in which Jesus celebrates his final Passover with his disciples. It's the same evening in which the Lord's Supper is introduced to us for the first time. It's also the same evening that Jesus began by wrapping a towel around his waist. And with a basin full of water, begins to wash the feet of those who still didn't fully understand him. Those who he was about to die for that still didn't really get what was going on. He got down with men who had broken his trust over and over and over, had messed up with him over and over and over. How many times do we read in certain gospel versions Jesus saying, Oye, how long, O oh Lord, must I dwell with this faithless generation? And not those who were his best disciples, and certainly not his chief disciple, who would later do what? Here uh, in a few hours, deny him three times. To his dirty, confused, broken, ongoing, messing it up disciples, he gets down on his knees and he washes their feet. And then here at the end of the evening, he gets on his knees and he prays that they will do likewise. Jesus says in John 13, If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now, does this mean that we have to actually break out some water and towels and wash each other's feet? You don't want to look at my feet. Does that, is that what this means? Maybe. Does the idea of it make you uncomfortable? It does me. But maybe, maybe we need to actually wash some feet. Or maybe we just need to invite some people over for lunch. Maybe we just need to have coffee with somebody. Maybe we need to make a conscious effort to spend time with people in the church that are not the people we normally spend time with. There are all kinds of little little steps that we can do that will lead us in this process of following after Jesus where we are striving through the power of the Holy Spirit to, to embody and give expression to what we have in Christ. I'm not telling you go out there and sin no more because I know you will and I know I will. But what we can do are little things that, yes, are uncomfortable and a little difficult when we look at them through the lens of what the world values, but when we look at it through the lens of the eternal inheritance that we already have by, make, by being made partakers and participants in the life, love, and mission of God, beloved. Start with little things. And praise God when you do them and ask him for the courage to do something a little more and then a little more and then a little more. Our Savior gave up glory. Our Savior gave up his life in order that he might give us his life. And if you notice here once again in verse 24, that he might have the ultimate desire of his heart, and that is to have you with him in his glory. Beloved, we are one in God's life, in God's love, in God's mission, and in God's glory. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we love your gospel. We especially love it when we are able to to be honest with ourselves about our sin and honest with ourselves about the ongoing brokenness in our lives and to be honest with ourselves about what you have done for us. And we are excited, Lord, when we think about what you have done for other sinners. But Lord, some, in some place there, we, we, we lose excitement when it comes to us embodying the love we have received to someone else whom you love. It's hard, Lord. And so we pray for your help. We pray that the, the Jesus that dwells within us would lead us to wash some feet or maybe just have a a hug and a kind word. Maybe, Lord, what we need to do is at least begin here to pray for one another in a way that manifests how Christ prays for us. Oh, Lord, overwhelm our hearts with your life and with your love. And lead us, O oh Lord, to be passionate about your mission so that we may indeed grow and mature not only as disciples of Jesus Christ but as ambassadors of reconciliation. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.